0: Welcome to the Islam and Liberty Podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to support us, visit islamandlibertynetwork.org. This episode, we have a recording of our seventh International Islam and Liberty Conference, The Islamic Case for Religious Freedom, held in Jakarta. Today, we have Syed Ahmad Reed. He is an assistant professor at the National Institute of Pakistan Studies, Khawaiyar Azam University, Islamabad, Pakistan. He did his PhD in Peace Studies from the University of Bradford, UK and his postdoctoral research at the University of Oxford, UK. He is part of a panel, Religious, Political and Economic Freedom, Interrelationships, chaired by Rebecca Shah. His topic is, Does Democracy Positively Affect Religious Freedom? A Case Study of Pakistan.
1: Okay, so uh, thank, first of all, I would like to thank the organizers, uh, inviting us and the hospitality they have given us. As you can see, the, my title is "Does Democracy Positively Affect Religious Freedom?" So I will take from where Yani left. This is more uh, qualitative research. Uh, so I will talk about um, how democracy, you know, affects religious freedom in case of Pakistan. As you can see, in liberal philosophy. Liberty and equality is considered very important, and obviously religious freedom is connected with that. So democracy it is believed that democracy should affect positively religious freedom. But as we have seen from that quantitative data as well that this is not the case of most of the time, always. So my research paper basically looks at whether democracy really uh, positively affects. Uh, in all cases, are, there are certain conditions which it has to satisfy. So, uh, especially in case of how does democracy affect religious freedom in a Muslim-majority country like Pakistan? Because we are in this conference focusing on Muslim-majority countries, so Pakistan was uh, something which I thought uh, provides a proper you know, case study for this. So why case study of Pakistan? Uh, because Pakistan has a specific, you know, uh, example of where you can find both uh, dictatorships and democracy. We have like for 70 years, a cyclical model of democracy where you have 10 years of dictatorship and then 10 years of democracy. So that provides you a lens where you can look at, you know, both dictatorships and democracy and see how it affects religious freedom. So using that I have basically chosen four particular eras. And the reason of cho- choosing these four particular eras was because I wanted to look at how, you know, the individual personality affects religious freedom and how times, different times affect religious freedom in an international environment affects it, regime type. So these are things uh, I wanted to look at. For this, I chose these four different periods. As you can see, the first period is Z- uh, Ali Bhutto's government 1972 uh, to 1977, and then Jawlak's military dictatorship now 1977 to 88, and then Musharraf's dictatorship 1999 to ni- uh, 2008, and Zardari's government 2008 to 2013. Now, uh, if we talk about Pakistan, obviously, and religious freedom, then uh, this August 11 speech of Qaida Azam Muhammad Ali Jinnah, the founder of Pakistan, is very important because this is where he talks about religious freedom and what kind of religious freedom will be there in Pakistan, the newly built Pakistan after 1947. This was the first speech which he made in the parliament, Pakistani parliament, before partition on August 11, 1947. And you can see here that Qaida is talking about, especially that you are free to go to your temples, you are free to go to your mosques or to any other places of worship in the state of Pakistan. You may belong to any religion or caste or creed that has nothing to do with the business of the state. So basically he's talking about that uh, liberal, you know, idea of religion and state are two different things. So uh, the state should give give equal rights to all citizens. But then uh, we have had a checkered history of religious freedom. Ahmadi question has already come up here um, quite a bit, so I will not go into that detail. But in case of Pakistan, you should—I mean—remember that this movement started from Kadian in district Gurdaspur. and uh, the people of Ahmadi's were involved in Pakistan movement as well at the forefront. So they were—they uh, migrated from India to uh, Punjab, Pakistani Punjab, in Chiniot district and settled in Rawal uh, area. Most of them. And there was a history, I mean, I, I will talk about more than 70s, but there was a history of qadiani issue and qadiani problem in Pakistan right from 1950s. And there was a huge, you know, massacre in 1950s where thousand Hamadis were killed in that incident and curfew was also imposed in the whole province. Now... Coming to Bhutto's era, you can see that in Bhutto's era, the most important thing regarding religious freedom uh, was that amendment which was made about Ahmadis. Uh, Bhutto had a liberal socialist ideology, radical background and his political party, a Pakistan People's Party is considered a centre-left party. So it was thought that he will be more for religious freedom and things. But we we know that the Second Amendment, which declares Ahmadis non muslim came in his era. So we want to look at how it happened. Uh, You can see there was one event on 29th May 1974 in the the compartment of Chenab Express, carrying around 170 students of Nishtar Medical College, Multan. They were attacked and beaten up at the Rabat Railway Station, which is the city where uh, Ahmadis live mostly and because they were chanting anti-Ahmadi slogans. This became a big big issue, and there was a court of inquiry was appointed as well. But the religious parties were demanding from declaring Ahmadis as non-Muslims and taking this issue up to the parliament. Initially, Bhutto was not ready to take this to parliament. Uh, He wanted to have some sort of administrative solution. And because of this, the inquiry committee was announced. And the other reason was because uh, Ahmadi's had voted Bhutto's party, People's Party in elections as well. So uh, he was quite sympathetic with Ahmadi's. But in Pakistan, there were a lot of protests and, you know, anti-Ahmadi riots afterwards, which forced him actually to bring this into the parliament. So you can see that this Kadyani Mahasabha committee was also formed. and. This came to the parliament. And yeah, so this second amendment of constitution was then came up. And this was in this constitution, uh, constitutional amendment, the term Muslim and non-Muslim were defined. And by defining this, Ahmadis were made uh, non-Muslims. Uh, you can see the definitions of what is Muslim and what is non-Muslim. And clearly it talks about targets Ahmadi. And so the result, what was the result? The result was... That Ahmadi community was legally excluded from the power structure with this amendment and people's negative attitudes against them forced them to migrate and relocate in UK and other areas. And you have heard about a lot here. So, this was why this happened. The religion of, uh, I mean, you can see that there was a lot of pressure, clergy and street power of the clergy was there. And the question of khatam e which was basically, which became a central question in Pakistan right after this, uh, this amendment tried to resolve it, but this eco is still in current developments as well, if you follow Pakistani recent things. Uh, Ziaulak's period is, again, as you m- might know, that he was, his Islamization policy and everything uh, have no but time. So I will just focus upon, you can see the blasphemy laws also came in uh, this phase where he declared that anyone who defiles the Holy Quran or says something against a prophet or something and then he can be punishable. And because of this, a lot of people came out and, you know, they had mislead things against non-Muslims and went to the court and people were punished. And it became a big issue of implementation of blasphemy laws. Okay, you can even see repression, not only Ahmadis, but uh, Shias were also there. Zakat and Ushara arguments because of this, TNFJ and other parties came up. So during Zawlak's era, different kind of religious minorities were feeling persecuted. When Musharraf's government came in, because Musharraf was a different phase, a different era, and he talks about policy of enlightened moderation, so there was hope that there will be some changes around uh, but he tried to do something, but because of the street power of the, of the clergy and stuff, he was not able to do anything and there were quite a few incidents in his face as well. Uh, lastly, uh, you can see the religious phenomenon of Zadarayan government tried to do quite a few things for the religious minorities, like they had recognized the non-Muslim public holidays, declared 11 August speech as the minority day, and they made uh, Shabal Bhatti as the federal minister for minorities. But sadly, in that phase, we had two important events happened. Shabazz Bhatti and Salman Taseer both were killed by uh, fanatics. Especially Shabazz Bhatti was killed for speaking against blasphemy, and Salman Taseer for speaking for justice for Asia Bibi. She, she was here a case of blasphemy against her. Now this is another, I mean, uh, although this, this is not that phase, but this is a very recent Faizabad uh, Dharna, where you can see Khadim Rizvi, and he also came up with that same question of, you know, Khatum is still continued. And he had a big dharna there in Faizabad, and the whole Islamabad was closed. And finally, he got everything accepted. And so the result was that whatever he said was accepted. Now, the final thing, does democracy positively affect religious freedom? So my finding is that it depends on so many things. It depends on political ideology of the regime, and individual personality of the ruler as well, like Musharraf was a different case, and Ziawalaq was a different case personally and politically as well. And it also depends on times and international environment, like 70s, 80s was a different time, and then 2000s, uh, and uh, 70s, 80s, Afghan jihad and all that, so America also needed it, and they supported Ziawalaq. And after 2010, environment changes, Musharraf was supported, for enlightened moderation. So, a different policy. Internal political dynamics, I think, are very important for religious dynamics, even if you are supported by uh, international community and everybody, but you still cannot do because of the internal di- political dynamics, as, as was the case in Musharraf. And street power of the clergy is very important. I and mean, You can see the street power of clergy. Even dictators cannot do something which uh, clergy don't allow. Uh, So overall, political social culture also is very important. Now, one thing which finally I I would like to say is that second constitutional amendment of 1947 and Faizabad Dharna clearly show that democratic institutions like parliament and freedom of speech protest can be misused to curtail the religious freedom. So even democratic institutions are used to curtail freedom. So we cannot say that uh, always democracy positively affects religious freedom democracy can be misused to curtail religious freedom as well. Thank you. Thank you.
2: I'm going to ask our, uh, my colleague here from Pakistan who talks, talks so eloquently about these regimes to talk a little bit about what happens. So the counterfactual is when you have repression, you have repression on a, a minority community that's an otherwise economically productive community. What happens to an economy? What would happen in my country, which is happening now, where Muslims who are significant business producers of wealth, what would happen, like in the state of UP, where there's a, there was a ban on beef? Again, don't tweet me, don't re- repeat what I'm saying. There was a ban on beef. India is the largest producer of beef. UP Muslims were actively involved in this economy. Now there's significant unemployment. The tanning industry is out. The level of income in that community has fallen to disastrous levels. It affects the whole economy. So I'm gonna ask my colleague here to talk a little bit about what would ha- what has happened in Pakistan or what would happen if there's increasing repression on an otherwise economic productive community. Okay, uh, thank you, yes. So
1: um, I mean economic impact, I'm not an economist so I I cannot really talk about it but what I can see I mean after this you can see flight of Ahmadis and some Hindus as well to India and other parts of the world and uh, Pakistan economy went down after 90s connections should be made, could be made, but you need a proper research for that. I will talk about more about, you know, uh, uh, India thing which you mentioned. I mean, my paper actually problem- problematizes this, that democracy uh, all, in all cases is not helpful for, you know, control, I mean, releases freedom. some cases, it can be misused. And misuse of democracy, especially India case, you can see what Modi government is doing there, beef ban and all that, connecting that. I think hate speech, that is the problem. Because hate speech, whether it's Muslim or Hindu or someone else, if it is done in the name of religion, obviously it affects the whole country. And um, this is the bigger question which I think we should ask about democracy, that religious freedom, I mean democratic freedom, you have democratic freedom. but In democratic freedom, do you have the freedom of hate speech? And hate speech is allowed by the dem- bi-democratic countries and that head-, head speech goes on and on and then it becomes a vote bank. So, connection of democracy to hate speech and then vote bank and then all the politics around, that really creates a big problem for religious freedom. Okay, again, religious freedoms, um, there is a positive correlation between religious freedom and economic and political freedoms. Say Pakistan, yeah. There is uh, some uh, democratic institutions. There is okay political freedoms works. Yeah, economic okay. But how, would you, how about religious freedoms? I think there is no connections. There is no enough religious, religious freedoms in Pakistan. But it's okay. It's running. It's another variables. Thank you.
3: Uh, thank you, all the speakers and Madam Chairman for the valuable information. Uh, I have two points. My first point is, I think the person who spoke before me conveyed it, that my sources I've consulted suggest that religious freedom is often seen as a barometer for other fundamental rights and liberties. In other words, related to democracy. I think this is something that authors have expressed and Uh, This was supported. Perhaps the chairperson also indicated that. My second comment is uh, maybe when you speak of religious freedom, you don't necessarily look into the religion itself. But if you say that the practice of religion is a part of religious freedom, then with reference to Islam, there is a connection with economic development in recent years, for example, and in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia, Islamic banking in finance has been developing very rapidly, but there has been some critique lately. lately. Uh, that started in the 1970s, but in the 2000s, people uh, criticized Islamic banking for their focus on profit, not sharing risk, and so on. Now there is attention to Islamic welfare institution like zakat and waqaf and halal studies and uh, sadaqa charities. These are the social welfare aspects of Islam that has significant uh, economic development dimension. And I think that uh, I, I was looking at uh, a small book written by two Japanese scholars and one Malaysian, New Waves of Islamic Social Welfare in Southeast Asia. And they refer to these, uh, you know, halal studies, waqaf, zakat. If these are, uh, we have started implementing them, but if they are truly uh, implemented effectively, I think it will be, a big, big contribution to el- el- elimination of poverty and economic and social development. Thank you. Uh,
1: okay, um, as I could understand from your question, uh, looking at Pakistan specific case, uh, I-, I think um, it's not, I mean, if you look at the Pakistan's case, except for Ziaulak's government, which was in 1977 to 1988, All other governments have been supportive of religious freedom and protective as well. I mean, including the current government. You may have heard about the um, Kartarpur corridor has been opened for Sikh community. And uh, so the the problem is much deeper than, you know, the governments. The problem is with the politics, which is, you know, surrounded with this uh, religious freedom. Like the, I mean, the pressure groups, which comes from the clergy and others, that the, the, the problem is there because even if government doesn't want to see some, do something like in case of you know bhutto he didn't want to do that amendment but he was forced to do it and in case of, I mean, uh, the other PPP government, uh, Zardari government, they wanted to, implement, you know, and Musharraf as well, he wanted to bring some positive changes in blasphemy Femilal, but they couldn't do it because if, if they want to do it, then uh, clergy will come out and protest yeah. and things, uh, which Faydabad Dharna shows. So the problem is much deeper, much, uh, you know, with the culture and with the things, and the politics which is being played by opposition whenever I mean, the party which is in opposition does different politics. When it comes into power, it does different politics. So, uh, political issues and there are other you know, institutions as well doing politics. <laughs> so, there are quite a few things involved. It's a very complex thing. But whoever is in, uh, at the hem of affairs, I have seen, apart from... Uh, Ziaulak's regime, which was very brutal against minorities. Other regimes have been very um, um, protective and very kind. I mean, they have at least tried to, but whatever they could do. Thank you.
0: And that's all we have for this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a like or a comment wherever you like. It would really help us out. And if you want to explore more on the Muslim case for freedom, visit islamandlibertynetwork.org. You can also support us through a donation button on the site. Thank you for listening to this podcast.